When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nebraska football is 100 years old. In its glorious past, we've witnessed legendary coaches, national championships, and Heisman Trophy winners. It's a tradition of winning that only continues through the generations. Nebraska football is also unstoppable tailbacks, elusive quarterbacks. The Cornhuskers are uncompromising, and they are out to commemorate their centennial in style with a third national championship. Colorado shares the same anniversary, but not the same supreme history. Yes, Byron Wizard White once led them to a perfect season, but now they are pointing at number one for the first time ever at Colorado. The Buffaloes have been through an emotional season. They are focused and explosive, and they have leaped into the national spotlight with an undefeated season. Today, a berth in the Orange Bowl is on the line. It's the Big Eight Battle of the Year. Nebraska and Colorado coming up next. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. I've had this podcast circled in black and gold for weeks. Let's go! Uh, I'll stop right there. Honky actually just gave it away. This is a special redcast. We are doing kind of a, a CUNU rivalry series show here. It's uh, kind of one of our first attempts to do kind of more of a uh, podcast documentary style thing. We're also with producer Skip. Yo, I, I'm still waiting for Ralphie to get that red rifle for Christmas so he can shoot his eye out. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 right. We're going to try to cover all the bases here with the uh, NUCU series. Looking forward to the game here in Boulder soon. Mac, you want to add anything? Hope the listeners enjoy us. Trying to put a little perspective on this kind of unique little situation we had between us and our brothers to the West CU. And a really special guest we've been able to add to this special redcast is Tom Chattel. That's right, Tom Chattel of the Omaha World Herald. It will be on the show here. We've actually uh, pre-recorded an interview. Mac and Honky were able to talk to him a few days ago. And uh, producer Skip will integrate Tom's takes into the show. Hey, Boomer, you know, you joined uh, the Nebraska uh, fandom a little bit later in your, your life because you started in Texas. Uh, your uh, quick thoughts on CUNU? Well, I just would like to echo what uh, producer Skip had to say there, and I really hope Ralphie does blow his head off because we need to remount a new Mr. Chip. So if anyone can uh, help with that process, let's get that rolling. Excellent. Dang. Wow. Hey, let's, let's, that's let's. Brutal. Out of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're fired up here on this. Uh, well, Boomer, let's start there a little bit. Let's give some perspective before show. we maybe dive into more of our uh, personal memories and recollections about the uh, the series can you give us a little background on nebraska colorado historically speaking well i certainly can uh, actually the the history of nebraska colorado it's kind of a kind of an odd history considering you know the memories a lot of us have or think we have on it we didn't play each other very much 
going back to the you know the prehistoric era or the pre-Devaney eras really of Husker football. Uh, we played them uh, our first meeting, 1898. And a quick trivia question: Can anyone name me the head coaches of both teams and the team mascots or the team nicknames at that time? No. Well, we were probably <laughs> we were probably the bug eaters. Maybe right? we were the bug eaters. I'll give you that one. And maybe they were the, I don't know, golden spikes or something. I don't know. You're in the vicinity there, Dave. They were the they originally went by the Colorado Silver and Gold because they had no ah. creativity whatsoever. So that was good. I love that song. That's a good I question though. What, what was gold. the name of our what was the name of our mascot when we were the bug eaters? I've never thought about that. Well, well we didn't cicadas. really have one. They didn't have we a, like, like Herbie the Bug. The side the spiders yeah. or the cicadas. Yeah. And, and actually I think a bug eater was a bat, if I remember correctly, of some sort. So but, Herbie uh, the Love Bug? Did we win that first game, Boomer? We did. We did. Twenty-three to ten. And the uh, the coaches at the time were uh, Nebraska was uh, coached by uh, Fielding Yost, who later went on to great fame with Michigan, and uh, Colorado was led by Fred Folsom of uh, Folsom Field fame. So there were some names involved in that first meeting. It was there. Interesting. Yeah, it it comes full circle. We played a few times after that, and then until about 1907, and then after that, we didn't play. I, a lot of people kind of forget about it, but uh, Colorado was one of the last teams to join. You know, it was the Big Six and the Big Eight when they joined. I think Oklahoma State had been there under some name and quit and came back later, a little bit after Colorado. Yeah, but, boomers. Uh, to clarify that, so when CU joined, it became mm-hmm. the Big Seven. Is that right? Yeah, because I think Oklahoma State had left by that point, and then yeah. they came back a couple of years later. So right. However you want to interpret that. Are they the last to join or is Oklahoma State because they came back? However you want to interpret that. And that would have been 1948. And that's really when we started playing them regularly. And actually Colorado dominated the series from that 1948 until basically 1961. They they won the majority of those games. And it was kind of a just a different take, I suppose, then. It was our down era, the 40s and 50s, as we've discussed on the podcast in the past. And kind of an interesting uh, just start to the rivalry, or if, if it is such a thing. And we'll probably cover that later in the podcast, I imagine. And so then Devaney shows up and everything switches, right? Yes, it was a it was an abrupt switch at that point. Uh, from 62 on, we tended to dominate Colorado. There was the one game in 67 that Colorado managed to win. I don't know how many of our listeners recall that one, but I'm sure there's probably a few <laughs> of you out there that do. And then we didn't lose to Colorado again until 1986. And I believe some of you guys probably have uh, memories of that game more so yeah, than I do. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's bring Honky in on here because I, I want to start with 86 really from our, our personal recollections, but Honky, you do you do have some some thoughts maybe on some of the the 1970s games with CU and some important milestones in in the series or, or rivalry 71 in particular where CU finished number three. Yeah, I mean those 18 years where we where we uh, that's the longest winning streak obviously within the rivalry, and during that time in 71, think about this: we talk about how great the SEC West is as a division. Well, the Big Eight in 1971, eight teams. Finished at the end of the year, number one, number two, and number three, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Colorado. Of course, that's the year of the game of the century, but uh, not to be forgotten is Colorado finishing number three that year. They went undefeated outside of playing Nebraska and Oklahoma. Those are the only two losses they had. In non-conference, they beat number nine LSU, and they beat number six Ohio State. So that was a very good CU team, probably as good as they had had ever in their history up until that point. But they were going up against two juggernauts with the Sooners and the Huskers. Can you imagine Boulder Uh, in 1971 with the number three team in the country? (laughs) Peace, love, football. Fast forward to 1978, and Osborne beats Oklahoma for the first time. 
gets that big monkey off his back and then loses to Missouri. We end up playing Oklahoma in the uh, bowl game right afterwards, which is a real kick in the gut. And after that season, we lose to Oklahoma. After that season, the only time during his 25 years at Nebraska, he interviewed outside of, of the state. He interviewed at Colorado and he was close to taking the job. Flying back to Lincoln, he thought about it. He you know, prayed on it, did all the things that Osborne would do and decided he couldn't do it to his players. He couldn't go back and tell the guys that he had recruited and said that he wanted them to be here for four or five years. He couldn't go and, and leave them. But that was the only time uh, that he almost left was to Colorado. Then we get to 83, and that's the first game I really remember, the the 83 season. We're talking scoring explosion, Rozier, Gill, all those guys. And I remember a game at halftime that was kind of close, biting fingernails, 14 to 12. And then we scored uh, 48 points in the third quarter, and that, that kind of ended that. So, Honk, right before then, Bill McCartney took over the CU program in 82. Does that sound correct? And Sounds right, yep. And so story goes, uh, if you will, uh, that, you know, McCartney, who's a, a Michigan man, he was an assistant uh, at Michigan, gets hired at CU. And one of his first questions is like, who's your rival? And they really didn't have one. And so he he circled Nebraska and, and put a target on that game. And uh, some of his assistant coaches, like uh, Jerry Donardo, you know, you know, talk about these stories. They're not quite sure why it was Nebraska, but you know, the geographic proximity and and the fact that he uh, respected how Osborne ran that program, or maybe two of the reasons that that McCartney chose that. But ultimately, it, it took a few years until he, he built up CU to be more competitive. Uh, and Honky, you remember uh, 1986 well, I presume. Yeah, so that kind of takes us to the end of that 18-year streak, and that's the 86 game. I can remember being outside, I'm shooting hoops, listening to the game on the radio because it wasn't televised. And uh, Netflix didn't carry lose. it? <laughs> what is this world? internet service what is was this down. What world then? you're describing? Yeah. So Nebraska lost 20-10, to 10, and I can just recall as the game was going on, and, and it, when it finally started to – be real like late third quarter fourth quarter I can still remember being outside and just like this is impossible there's no way we can lose to a conference team that's not Oklahoma because in my memory at that point I was born in 77 and up until that point I don't recall us ever losing to a big eight conference team that wasn't Oklahoma because it didn't happen in my memory. you don't recall because it didn't happen exactly yeah I mean I mean, I think we lost to Missouri in 78 but you know I was a year old so uh, yeah, that's that's what it was like back then. There was that there was that much dominance. We just never lost anyone else. Yeah, I, I agree. The '86 game is is galvanized in my mind because of that. Uh, it was I remember listening to that game on the radio in my uh, basement of my house with my dad in his workshop, and it was just one of those Saturdays. We're like, oh, we're just going to listen to the Nebraska game. They're going to win by four touchdowns, and you know, when's that Oklahoma game come up, right? And um, it. Just never, we were down and we just never could come back. Let's hear Tom's take on Bill McCartney starting the NUCU rivalry. It was 86. They upset Nebraska there. And that was like, I remember coming to Big Eight going, whoa, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Mm-hmm. So and that was sort of the beginning of this Colorado Nebraska thing that I've, I really don't like very much. I really, uh, I'm not going to Boulder and I'm really not, not that sad about it. I love Folsom field, but I don't like the atmosphere around the, the game. I just think it's, it's not about football. It's not, a, it's not even about rivalry. It's just about being mean. Well, Mac, do you remember that by chance when you were a kid? 
Actually, Dave, I, I don't really remember that game at all. 86 was a little early for my fandom. I, I did have a small spell in my, my life where I was in Iowa. I don't want to talk about that. But um, <laughs> uh, I thought I knew you. The fir- Yeah. Well, it's not something I go tell people, Mike. <laughs> well, you're from Texas. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's Jeez, not my fault. of our fault, yeah, yeah. Boomer. Back off. No, but I, the first game that really is kind of crystallized in my mind was the one with Eric Bieniemy and just the, our inability to uh, tackle his thighs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've gone to several uh, CU and U games, and, and Skip, you can jump into here pretty soon because I think this is starting to get into your personal memory of, of NUCU, and you have a very intimate relationship with this this series because of uh, living out here in, in Colorado. I remember I went to the 88 game, I believe, where we won 7 nothing. It was an ugly game, and Steve Taylor... Uh, scored a touchdown, and then '89 is when we lost to him for the second time, if I remember right. Honky Boomer, correct me, yep. wrong That's on correct. that one in Boulder. And then in '90 was the game where we were up 12 nothing. Eric Bieniemy had four fumbles, I believe, in the first half. Does that sound right, guys? Mm-hmm. And then had four touchdowns in the fourth quarter to kind of overcome that, and that took. You know, CU is they're playing for the national title uh, at the end of those those years. Actually, yeah, that's probably that first year that really crystallized my extreme dislike of Colorado. I guess if you want to put it that way, that whole 1990 year. I uh, they won that game and then they they got their national title that season and with the fifth down. Yeah, with the fifth right. down with the phantom clip in their bowl game against Notre Dame uh, when Rocky Bishmael was returning that kick, yeah. or punch, if I remember correctly, and they called it back on a. Just a terrible call. I mean, how many things had to go Colorado's way to win a national title that year? And really, they probably shouldn't have won it over Georgia Tech anyway. Uh, but yeah, that that year was probably the one that really started crystallizing Colorado dislike for me for a transplant to Nebraska. Skip? Well, I transplanted to Colorado from Nebraska in uh, 87. I do remember watching that 7-0 victory. Uh, the next year... As a nine-year-old, I went to the game in Folsom, <laughs> where it was the number two ranked and number three ranked teams in the country. Uh, yeah, where where uh, Nebraska lost twenty-one to twenty-seven, and and I vividly remember so many parts of that game. I was in the south stands, getting yelled at. They served beer at Folsom back then before a long, long ban. I remember going into the restroom and as a young boy, seeing lines to pee in the sinks. Not just the urinals <laughs> in the bathrooms, being like, what is this? Then it was really the biggest game of McCartney's career up to that point and, and really kicked off a long, legitimate run of top 20, top 15 games between CU and Nebraska. And to me, it was, it was on after that. Like As a boy living in Colorado, CU was on top of the world. They're going to the Orange Bowl. That was the, the grease on the fire uh, from a kid living out here and seeing that type of fandom explode was heated. But Skip, let's talk about it for a little bit. I think that's really important because this is when, if you're a CU fan or a Nebraska fan and you do consider this a rivalry, this is when that really uh, came to be, right? Uh, the games are closely contested. 
highly ranked teams. Uh, they are really being played for something. Yeah, and they're happening uh, late in the year, you know, as well. Like they're happening in November. Yeah. These these games were deciding the Big Eight championship. If you go back and mm-hmm. watch it, and and I did go back and watch recently that that game. Uh, God bless YouTube. Everything is available. Uh, <laughs> you can listen to these game calls, and it's insane. And they were starting. As that game is winding down, even though Nebraska's making a drive, the I believe it was on ABC, the announcer's like... Folks in Colorado, get ready to call for reservations to Miami. I mean, it was a deciding the big eight how many of those years, from that year to the next ten. So, Hockey, this is a good point of context here. Is This is right when Oklahoma was falling off, right? Barry Switzer retires in 88, if 88 I remember right. Last or year, so. yep. And and CU does momentarily clearly replace OU as NU's prime competition for the Big A title. Yeah, we had multiple games with them during about a five to six year stretch. Uh, right as Switzer's leaving Oklahoma, we have about two or three games with Colorado where we're both ranked in the top ten, maybe three or four games even. I mean, there were some really highly ranked games, and these games didn't just mean something for the conference, they meant something nationally. They were the national game of the week when we would play Colorado. And so that's the that's the difference maker between Colorado and the Missouris and K-States and even Iowa's, the, the teams that have been kind of our, our new border rivals that have tried to become the next Oklahoma rivalry since. Colorado actually ascended to a level that all those other ones really didn't, at least – I guess I'd also say at the same time that we were at that level too. So, I mean, we yeah. have major... It's timing is important. Yes. I mean, we, you know, we have to do our part, right, to be a rivalry too. And so both of us, Colorado and Nebraska, were both hot at the same time in those late 90s, early... Or late 80s, early 90 time period. I can give you those stats if you want. From 88 to 96, in those nine years, both Colorado and Nebraska were top 20 in every matchup. Seven times wow. they were top 15, six times they were top 10, and three times they were top five over that nine-year stretch. That's insane. Every one of those games in nine years was at least minimum a top 20 matchup. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's where the the series really hit its, its peak. And uh, Colorado had the best of Nebraska a few times. And we've already mentioned them winning in 89 and 90 and then we tied 19 to 19, I believe, in 91. Is that right, Honk? Yeah, the right. famous snowball game. Here's Tom Chattel's take. And I, I did not really experience it until the first Orange Bowl that I was I covered in Omaha. You know, they uh, they ended up tying Colorado in 91 out there. Colorado, it was snowing all week. We barely got out there because of the, the, the it was a blizzard all through Nebraska. The, the team, the team had to go in early. We get out there, and the, the fans are, are snow all over, all over Folsom Field, and they're throwing snowballs at Byron Bennett, the kicker, as he's lining up to try to, try to win the game. Of course, he misses because he's, he's getting built up by snowballs, which was <laughs> total, total classless. It was if you weren't involved in the game, you go, "Come on, guys!" And then in '92. You recall 1992, guys. Yeah, that, How did that game go? That's one of my favorite memories growing up. It was Halloween. My dad took me to the game, and it was kind of rainy out and, and just a good old, you know, late October game in Lincoln. But it's Frazier's really coming out party as a true freshman. Travis Hill had a big uh, play early in the game. And Detmer in and out of the hands, and it's intercepted on the opening play of the game by Travis Hill. 
that kind of started things off, and we beat them 52 to 7. They just both, demolished. Both them. oddly ranked number eight going into that yes. game. Oh, yeah. And so after that game, you know, we, we blow them out and we go on that night. My dad takes me to a volleyball game that we watched. And then at midnight, they had midnight madness for basketball. Danny Nee, it was the start of the basketball season, the first practice that night. And I'm, you know, that's Piatkowski and that kind of era of players. So it was just this really cool day, but it all started with absolutely destroying Colorado, which was just great. And then we don't lose again to Colorado until a, a game in, in 01. So, Hockey, was that your first NUCU game that you actually saw in person? My first one was in 90, and that one was that was a horrible, rainy, terrible day, too. And as you mentioned, Dave, we were up 12 nothing going into the fourth quarter, and Mickey Joseph was our quarterback, and the, the weather was so crappy, and the ball was so slippery, and, and Joseph, I can just remember, the guy's tiny. I mean, his hands were small. He couldn't hold on to the ball, you know, in the fourth quarter, and then that's when the enemy went nuts, and what Darius, Darian Hagen was our quarterback. Mac, have you been to a NUCU game before? Yeah, I, I went to the to one in 08. Yeah, and that, that's the first one that I can recall. I've been to Folsom Field, but only for a Dave Matthews concert, and the seats sucked. <laughs> Screw you, CU. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll get to that 08 memory in a, in a little bit, but I, I do want to keep it in the 90s here just a, a, a bit longer because even so, we lost a few games there versus CU, and then we started to go on a winning streak. Honky, you want to jump in? Well, the first game that I ever watched with Mac on TV was in '94, and it was an early morning national televised game. Number two versus number three, Colorado comes to Lincoln. It's the 200th sellout of Memorial oh, yeah. Stadium, and it's the Brook Beringer starting game. I mean, and there was yep. all kinds of concerns going into that, and that was the incredible uh, Colorado offense that. Michael Westbrook. Well, Salam ends up yeah. winning. Um, that was Rashawn Salam uh, versus Lawrence Phillips. Yeah. Yes, and Salam wins the, the Heisman, and you got Cordell Stewart, and you've got uh, Westbrook. You have the tight end is Christian Fourier. Yeah. This incredible yep. Chad offense. Johnson wasn't he on the linebacker for the? But what really stuck out is the Blackshirts Maybe. play that day. Nebraska wins twenty-four to seven. I think we were up twenty-four zero actually. So uh, Colorado scores the last touchdown of the game, but the defense. I don't have the stats in front of me, but it was an insane third down and fourth down defense against Colorado. I think they – I'm just making it up right now. They got like one out of like 15 or 20 third and fourth downs combined. It was insane how the defense shut that offense down, and there was a ton of pro players on that. And one kind of, I guess, side note that was kind of cool out of it was something that Rob Zaska mentioned on a BTN show. 94 Colorado game. Before the game, I made up a story, told it just to the starting offensive lineman, that Shannon Clavell, Colorado's starting and star defensive tackle, got off the charter flight carrying a pipe cutter to signify that he was they were going to cut through the Nebraska pipeline, the nickname our offensive line had. And I told that to the offensive line. A lot of the guys got awfully fired up about it. Best part of it, though, I always thought was walking through the locker room. After the game, the press interviews are wrapping up, and I still heard two or three offensive linemen on the team talking about how with their defensive line carrying a pipe cutter off of the plane, that was something that really served and motivated to go out and really just put this absolutely dominating performance on Colorado that day. But it was a completely made-up story. 
that was around the same time that, that our players would start wearing the opposing team's hats and stuff to press conferences the week of the game, you know, like uh-huh. to keep focus on what's going on that week. If I remember that year correctly, that's the one where Tommy Frazier was in street clothes, suffering from yep. blood clots, and then Berenger had a collapsed lung. So all the games leading up to it was like, is anyone going to be healthy to play CU? I mean, they're a top five team. They're coming in number two. Like that was a huge story of who's going to play and can any of them perform? And then we go out there and do that. Yeah. And for Brooke to perform the way he did, which was he he brought a different offense from what Frazier brought. He could complete 60 plus percent of his passes. The first touchdown, I think, of the game, if I remember right, was the perfect pass over the, the, the shoulder of Eric Alford. Yeah. And there's kind of the famous, you know, there's a, a still frame of him, you know, going into the end zone as he's got the arms up in the air with the ball. And, and Brooke, that offense changed midseason with Frazier out, no doubt. But uh, Brooke was at his absolute best in that game against Colorado. It was. That was a that was a game of thing of beauty to watch. Yeah, I think it gave people the confidence of, oh, I think we can win the national championship with either quarterback, mm-hmm. not just yep. like, oh, Tommy's out, let's get by. Skip, that's exactly where I wanted to go actually, because that that's my memory of that game is watching that game, and I re- honky, I remember we were up twenty four nothing, and and there was a lot of doubt going into that game and how good we were and. And uh, if you recall, we had obviously were very close to the previous year losing in the Orange Bowl to Florida State, eighteen sixteen, and uh, but with all the injuries and other things, it, it wasn't really clear. And then we just came out and we just absolutely dominated that game. And my my personal recollection was, we're going to do this. We can do this. We're gonna we're gonna compete for the national title this year. And that that's a special moment in someone's memory when you think suddenly the team that you've rooted for so long for can really get to the pinnacle of the game. And that was the game for me where I'm like, I think we can win it this year. That's how good Colorado was at that time. That was two versus three. The next year was two versus seven. The next year was four versus five. I mean, that was a McCartney's last team. And I, I've heard this many times before. They feel like that 94 team stacked with NFL talent was McCartney's best team. And we mm-hmm. – Absolutely took him to the woodshed. That's the team that, that won on the, the Hail Mary at Michigan earlier in the year. Uh, that was the same day that Nebraska beat Wyoming where Berenger uh, collapsed his lung. But I remember hearing about, you know, hey, they, they Cordell throws this 70-yard bomb and they, you know, Colorado's on a roll. It was a, it was a team of destiny for Colorado. They caught the, they caught the Hail Mary, and so they're going to come into Lincoln on our 200th consecutive sellout and win it. I think they'd beat. Texas by a last-second mm-hmm. field goal as well. Yeah, it was definitely Team of Destiny rolling in there. So in 95, our freshman year in college for uh, the Redcast. So you guys probably Blue don't Earth. remember any of that game. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Honky and myself and our friend Travis actually got uh, tickets to go to this game in Folsom. And so we actually traveled out uh, to Boulder. And, uh, you know, Honky, we... Uh, Obviously wanted to have a good time beforehand, and so we ended up waiting in line uh, as the game began. Yeah, it was so stupid that we didn't get our tickets from the lottery driving down there. You had to pick them up at the stadium, and we got we lucked out the morning of the game because we drove into Boulder without any place to stay. Good planning. Yeah. Well, we weren't we weren't twenty one yet. Let's be honest. 
And our buddy Travis uh, actually had his mom secure us a hotel room, but they required you to be 21. So when we got to Boulder, they're like, no, you can't check in. And Honky and his very resourceful self uh, was able to, to find us. I think it was a Best Western, if I recall. And that sounds very like nice me. accommodations. <laughs> um, it sounds like Best Western, just throwing rules to the wind. Yeah. They're like, yeah. sure, we'll take you three. No problem. <laughs> and what I recall was, you know, we were basically across the street. Not far from the stadium at all. We could see the stadium no, from our room, fine. which was nuts. You know, it was an early game. It was maybe a one o'clock game or something like that. And and so we we got into our room. We turned on ESPN, uh, uh, the game day. And the starting lineup. Back to the receivers for Chili's. You've got Armand Green. Get used to the name, folks. He's going to be a freshman. And he is terrific. He's going to be around a good long time. First down for Nebraska. The ball is at the 43. After the short punt. And here goes Frazier down the line. Delivers the ball to Green. Green's on the corner. Going down the sidelines. He's on his way. He's got a touchdown. 57 yards. They knew it was coming and they still couldn't stop it. And so sure enough, Honky and I miss Amon Green around the the left end for a, a touchdown. Mac, I mean, you probably saw that on TV, I presume. It was yeah, a newly and, uh, designed play for that game, actually. Yep. Yeah, Osborne had just written it up that that week, or and it was worked to perfection. Different formation. It, it was two, uh, basically two split ends, and then they did it out of a uh, power eye backfield. So it's something that was drawn up specifically for that play. They hadn't run that exact kind of formation, that kind of play before. And Brendan Holbein was out. Seemed the like line. it's just an option play, though. I mean, I know it's like, they're never going to be ready for this. Green was so fast. Like, he gets around the corner and like, oh, that's good for a first down. And he just runs by three CU defensive backs, just clears them. Like, you think he's getting pushed out of bounds at about 12-yard gain when you rewatch that play. It is insane how he just blows by everybody. And it even surprised Keith Jackson on that call. He's just kind of like. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, it was exactly and, that. And I, I wish to- I would have saw it. And I have to say, we had we had Keith Jackson doing multiple games in a row. I was going to mention it when we were talking about '94, but it was when I think of Keith Jackson and Nebraska, I I think actually of Colorado more now because there were so many times where it'd be like his pregame thing. He'd be talking about Nebraska coming across the bumbling, stumbling across the plains to play the Buffaloes from the Rockies, and, and you know he had this whole thing. And today, the unbeaten Colorado Buffaloes are thundering across the plains to take on the undefeated Nebraska Cornhuskers. Sort of reminds me of that old Roger Miller lyric, you can't roll a skate buffalo herd. Well, I would suggest to you that the Cornhuskers intend to find out. Bob Greasy for the X's and O's in a moment. <laughs> God bless Keith Jackson, man. That is awesome. And that's Keith Jackson. Absolutely. To a T. Perfect. So, of course, Dave and I, we missed the, and Travis, we missed that, that first play. But when we finally got to our seats, we realized that we were up 7 nothing, so that was good. But our seats were weird because all of the seats, like literally 99% of the seats that were in that lottery, all were in the corner of the field, and that's where all these Nebraska fans were. And somehow our three seats were at like the 40-yard line, four rows up, like right behind the Nebraska bench. I could yell awesome. at Jesse Cush, which I did, and he was on my team at, at SCOTUS, so he, he knew me, and he never really had to punt ever back then much. And so I could yell at him. He turned around. He waved at us. That was fun. Um, but but my, my memory— Focus on the game, Jesse. <laughs> but my memory, as much as anything, yep. Dave, 
was sitting behind these Broncos fans. And I'm calling them Broncos fans because I don't really think they were Buffalo fans. They were just there for the day. They didn't really care. They had hot damn in their in their like pockets. And anytime Nebraska scored, they would just pull out hot damn and we were all drinking it. And I, I could never really tell if they were rooting for us or Colorado. They were really cool. They were rooting for touchdowns. They were just so rooting they could, well, they, 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 they were, were for hot damn. They were the game was a blowout. <laughs> well, it worked. It was a blowout, um, and so these guys clearly did not care about. And then, honestly, the can whole- I make a note? A quick show note uh, for those of you young Radcasters: Hot Damn is like the old person version of Fireball whiskey. <laughs> that's a great yes. distinction, Skip. That's a that's a good. Job. <laughs> okay, true. now I do have. So, I'm going to ask this to, to Mac real quick. Trivia, what's the what's the play you remember from that Nebraska-Colorado game in 95? When Tommy Fisher got blitzed from a blind side, mm-hmm. clear shot on him, guy hits him, Tommy looks at him, and then still throws the ball <laughs> to strike Demond Green up the sideline. Yeah, never got it was sacked. Amazing. Never got sacked. I've never seen a quarterback take a hit from a full-on blitzing. I can't remember if it was a corner or safety. It doesn't really matter. They were playing defense. Yep. You hit a quarterback. Who wasn't looking? He stood there, and it's Tommy Frazier, not the best passer in the world, and he completed the ball on you. It was like it's going to be a good yeah, day. Never got sacked the whole season, but that was he clearly should have been on that play. But anyways, I I knew Mac would know the answer to that. Here's Tom's take on Tommy Frazier in the 1995 CU game. Yeah, Nebraska '95 had to play a perfect game, no penalties, and had to win out there. And and, and Tommy Frazier would tell you his favorite play. Was not the run in the Fiesta Bowl against Florida. He did, he doesn't like that play because Florida gave up. He's told me that. Uh-huh, he, said that. The, he said that the Gators, you know, those guys weren't. They, they gave up. He, he didn't respect that play at all. I mean, he's known for it, but his, to him, his favorite play, and I remembered it. I I know where I know where you're going with this, Tom. I know which one it, it is. It was a third down pass to Amon Green. Yep. Uh, for a first down, a very important drive, and he was getting hit. He was, he was actually getting leveled by a. I don't know if it was Ted Johnson or, or some Colorado linebacker, or Matt Russell or somebody mm-hmm. was all over him, and he he held the ball and 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 I, I completed the passes. He was being sacked. Yeah, and um, he he said that that's his favorite play. So I, I've never seen a quarterback take a blindside shot like that. And it looked like he looked down at the guy hitting him. He's like, well, I'm going to throw it anyway. <laughs> it's still completed, and then I'll go down. It was such a strong play. And like, it's about as good as, uh, as that picture of the charging buffalo and Osborne just pointing the other way. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I, 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 my memory of that, Honky, and I remember the, the fans in front of us, was uh, since it was a blowout, and there was uh, beer being uh, still uh, served in Folsom at that point, uh, they were – uh, betting the there was a few other Nebraska fans around us and like they were betting on whether you know are you going to get a first down here or not essentially every play was a bet between these guys because it was an absolute you know blowout and it was just like money being passed back and forth and beers being swapped and uh that that's actually a very fond memory of of whether they're true CU fans or not, you know, there will probably have a discussion here about uh, some of the less friendly moments between fans. But that was, to me, uh, a great experience, and it was a great time. So the first year, it finally became uh, one team not ranked. Nebraska was two. Colorado was unranked in 1997. And Colorado was not ranked in the next three years either. But despite mm-hmm. that, 
every game was decided by three points or less. Yeah, I, I remember that 96 game in Lincoln. That was very cold, if I remember correctly. And we had jumped out to a pretty early lead in that game. And then that second half, it we couldn't do anything right, it seemed. We fumbled the ball. I think the quarterback was some uh, <laughs> Frost. Is that how you pronounce the name, if I remember right? Yeah, he'd, he'd fumbled a couple times. D'Angelo Evans, I recall fumbling. I think in Nebraska territory, multiple times. And the defense really rose up in that game to keep... You know the Buffalo's out. Yeah, yeah. In '97, that's the that's the Scott Frost. You know we're going to win the national title, and we were up 27 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. And Colorado puts on 14 points. They get, they got a onside kick on us. I mean, this is we had to make a, a last second stop on a fourth down, hmm. or there was a chance this game could you know end up going into overtime or losing. And and that was, you know, the week right before we went and played in the Big 12 title game and, and destroyed A&M. Yeah. In 99, another one to producer skips point there. It's our first ever overtime game for Nebraska. And we went 33 to 30. Nebraska team. And honestly, that, that was really close to not being overtime because if I remember, Colorado had a shot at like a straight on field goal with no time left in that game because they mm-hmm. had some crazy rally in the fourth quarter to even tie it up. And. They just shanked it, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was the game, too. Solich was going nuts on the sideline, and defensive coordinator Craig Bull tried to kind of just calm him down a little bit, and Solich kind of, you know, like there was like a little – it wasn't Polini-like, but it was kind of like there was a was sideline, close. you know, discussion between the two. Where, but anyway. Which had yeah. never been seen. I mean, Osborne, you know, never had that. So that's Correct. a good point. I got a question for all you uh, Nebraskans. So in 96, this game moved to the day after Thanksgiving. What did everybody in Nebraska feel about that? That's a good question, Skip. You know, I, I feel like since Oklahoma had been down since really the late late 80s there, I think there was a natural transition to CU being a more prominent game on the schedule. With that said, that change in timing was a direct result of the Big 12 and of Oklahoma moving to the South Division and us not playing every single year. So I think there was always a hope in my mind that Oklahoma would would come back or an expectation at some point that Oklahoma would come back and that that rivalry would resume. And so a little bittersweet in my opinion in the sense that I, I felt like CU was a natural team to take that position because of what was forced upon us. But at the same time, it was this realization that we weren't going to be playing Oklahoma every year. Um, at this, you know, at the same time. Let's hear Tom's take on the CU rivalry. Colorado was like, I'm going to go up to the big bully and and, and pick a fight. And mm-hmm. you, know, you, have, you have to take the bully down to get his attention. And while they did, they, they won in 89 and 90. Uh, and that was it, right? Until 2001, they didn't win. Yeah, I think the fact that Colorado, to your point there, Skip, about in 97, you know, starting to not be ranked anymore, that started to have a negative effect on that feeling of that game after Thanksgiving, too. I mean, that was the big thing about the Friday after Thanksgiving. We were playing a big game against Oklahoma or whoever it was, and it was always a a game that had all this meaning, and all of a sudden we start playing games where the teams aren't ranked, and eventually it got to the point where we weren't ranked, and I think that's had as much of an effect on it as anything as opposed to just whoever the team is that we're playing. I mean, if Nebraska gets back to where we want Nebraska to be and we're a top five and top ten team routinely at, at that point, 
that already is going to play a big role in making that game feel big again, mm-hmm. whoever we're playing afterwards. But when the opponent's up there too, man, that mm-hmm. that's that's a magical moment when you can get both of them going. And Colorado stopped being that team, even though we, we still were. We still were in 97 and 98 and 99, but Colorado wasn't. And it starts to become just another game on your schedule. And I know this kind of gets into the rivalry thing. And was it a rivalry? It wasn't it. But when Colorado didn't keep up its end of the bargain, so to speak, and that really started under Neuheisel right away, man. They they started to drop off fairly quickly a year or two after McCartney was done. And Nebraska was still good. I mean, we were good well up until 2001. The day, you know, the, the day the music died. The, the yeah. day the music died, which was at the hands of Colorado. But when they started to fall off, that game just it didn't have that same feeling, even though the games were really good. They were, you know, settled within three points or less. Mm-hmm. And then it, it flipped, right? I mean, 2001 is the flipping point or tipping point in in this story. Yep. And it's not one that we like to talk about. Honky, you were there at that game. And uh, there was moments, I remember, in the second half. 2001? Uh, 2001, where... Oh, Honky, you were there, too? I was. <laughs> yeah, I Skip was there, was there as well. Oh, me and you both, buddy. And was uh, the one I remember watching yeah. that game, and I, I think we had a chance to take it within one touchdown sometime in the third quarter. And I, I can't remember. I think it was a fumble or something sort of deep in the red zone. And it... it we lost the ball and, and we never got much closer. But we're eleven and zero in that game. We are number one in the country. Eric Crouch was just on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And, you know, all the things in the world are going well. And I got into that game and and we had been throwing back a few a uh, few brews before the game. And some of the fans were not very kind to us beforehand. They didn't want to tailgate with us. And we found these cool Colorado fans that would. So I I threw back beers with them. And my uncle, who I was with, and and at that time my younger cousin. It was time to walk to the game. And I'm like, well, I'm going to stay back. I'm going to throw back a few more with these really cool Buffalo fans. And we're throwing them back. And then when I finally get to our seats, which were in the the CU student section, I'm wearing red from head to toe. And I'm walking in front of all of them. And they are throwing stuff at me and booing me and everything. And I raised my fingers to tell them what number we were. We were number one in the country. So I was letting them know we were number one. And then I go and I sit down. And then we're down 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter. And I have to walk back in front of all those students again to go to the only restroom that was in the entire section of Folsom Field because <laughs> it was built in 1912 or whatever. And so I have to walk back in front of all of them. And then they were throwing everything, you know, every bottle or whatever they brought with them at me. Did you add the thumb and tell them you're number two now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was like, I deserve it. I, ooh, that one hurt. You know, hey, that one hit the head. <laughs> that was a good throw. Hey, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I hey, that's not beer. <laughs> I des- I deserved it. I, I get it, but yeah, yeah. That, I deserved it. I was there. That game, <laughs> that game though. I mean, it just you watch it, and of course, but it was the, it was the the brilliant mind of Sean Watson. I'm like, if we could only get him to one day be our OC, but you know, who, how how could that even possibly happen? He sprung this new play on us called a trap. <laughs> Talked with Sean Watson. This was back when he was uh, Bill Callahan's right hand man, uh, mm-hmm. the coordinator, whatever. We were just chatting one day at practice, and I said, Sean, I said, you know, you were at Colorado in 01. I said, what happened in that game? Can you, can you explain to me how that happened? It I mean, it was Chris Brown every play and, and going for 20 yards and the tight end open every play. I said, how in the world? I mean, that was that was a good Nebraska team. They they beat Oklahoma. They were 
they were ranked in the top two or three. I think they were two or something like that. Maybe they were their number one. I don't remember. But he said, he, was, he goes, it's a great story. He goes, he said, Gary Barnett was the head coach. And for the last, for like the previous three or four years, he said, you know, we drove him crazy. He couldn't beat Nebraska. So he said that uh, Barnett, for the previous three years, spent every day on Nebraska. He spent part of every day on Nebraska, where he would study. He would he'd break down their film. He would he would look at the at something you know what they did last year, their schemes, their personnel. And he said for like three years in a row. And sure enough, and he's right. Uh, ninety nine Nebraska, I think won an overtime out there. They almost lost. Mm-hmm. And then that ninety nine team won the Big Twelve. Well, they wouldn't. They they were going to blow that. They hadn't won that game, so that was close. And then the next year, I think Josh Brown had to hit a field goal at the buzzer to beat Colorado in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So every year they got closer. And then Sean uh, said in two thousand one, the the dam broke. He said they they just they they just they, they just had them uh, had had them pegged perfectly. Well, I, at Mac, I think you said it the right way. That was the day the music died yeah. for Nebraska. Yeah. And it becomes why this week is so important in Boulder, is that this week is the chance, I like to think, to get that back. Our mojo ended in Boulder, and I want our mojo to start again on Saturday. Poetic, man. I, I like that. Seriously. And, and this is it's the true. start of getting that, that mojo back. Dave, you've been to every single away loss you can possibly be to. The the last away <laughs> win you've been to was 95 at Colorado. Thanks, right? Am Poetic. I right? Oh, <laughs> Steve, this is full the last win I've seen was Nebraska at Folsom Field in 1995. On, on the road. On the road, correct. So this is a chance. That's that's why this week is so important. It's mm. one of the reasons we wanted to kind of throw all this together is to talk about how, you know, Colorado, from a rivalry standpoint, I'll never put them in the, in the Oklahoma category or anything like that, but they have played an integral part in Nebraska's history, certainly the recent history. You know, th- that game has meant something, and, and that game, that 0-1 game specifically, Boy, it took the, the wind out oh. of the sails of, of everything that was Nebraska football for 40 years. Yeah. You know, Mac or, or Skip, uh, maybe jump on this one. And it says, I, I was reading some CU message boards, just kind of like seeing um, how much hatred is still out there for, for Nebraska. And uh, for at least a, a very select amount of CU fans, it's still very real. And that 6236 is really just that just is the badge of honor for badge that. of honor. That, that's that a is good description. Skip. I mean, it, and uh, they they hold that with great pride um, that they brought down the Nebraska dynasty uh, more so than some of the great games they had in the late 80s, early 90s that actually had real consequences for them to advance to a national title game for for goodness sakes. Um why do you think that that is? Skip, I mean, you've lived through this uh, very close geographic proximity of all these CU fans. Why is it that game, or why why do they see this as more of a rivalry than maybe Nebraska fans do? I think they felt like little brother for nine straight years. There's even a, a game broadcast I went back and re-listened to. A big rivalry for Colorado. Nebraska would dispute that, but here come the Buffalo. The Buffs consider Nebraska their biggest rivals, and Nebraska really doesn't uh, really give a lot of credence to that. (laughs) I mean, Keith Jackson's saying this on the air, (laughs) and how do you feel when you're still the top top 10 team in the nation? Yeah. 
with a bordering state and they won't recognize you. Yeah. You know, after yeah. you just beat them or you tied them and then you beat them two years before that. In the same intro broadcast, it says, All right, the last team to beat Colorado in Big 8 play, you guessed it, Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's, that's exactly still right. And considering, uh, we don't really consider you a rival. Well, you haven't beat them in four years, you know, since 88, and this is 92. You get that little brother complex, and I, I can be an expert at that because I went to CSU, and CU treated us the same way when I started going there, and we started beating them. And we were starting to split the series 50-50, Many games, you know, like we there was a nine year stretch. We were five and four and they don't consider us a rival, even though we're in state. I, I get that we're not in the same conference and we have to play them at the beginning of the year. A lot of those dynamics are different, but I could see where Colorado always gets that inferiority complex. They don't feel like they were given their due from 89 to 91. I can agree with that. Because 92 to 2000 happened, even though they were close so many damn times. All you guys could say is, you can't beat us. Who cares? You, this is why we're not a rival. And then they come out there and smoke you when you're the number one team in the country. And that, that is why it was like, we find, finally you give us some credit. Yeah. Like we've done it we've slayed the dragon game of thrones over yes we, we have <laughs> had we really liked how game of thrones ended <laughs> post oklahoma as a rival nebraska's had a history of any time a team beats us once or twice they become our and they happen to be a border school they immediately become our rival so we've seen it with mizzou we've seen it with k-state we've seen it with colorado now we're seeing it with iowa the difference though and i think you've hit on it perfectly skip is that colorado sustained it a little bit longer, but they also, they had some very meaningful years, those late 80s, early 91s, where they were top five, top 10 when they were playing us. And then when they beat us big, and I know we've lost big to Missouri, we lost big to K-State, we've lost big to to um, Iowa during this time. But when we lost big to Colorado and we were number one in the country and 11-0 and and had the, the Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback, that's exactly to your point, like Colorado – they're not they've never been at Oklahoma's level with us. They've never been that kind of rivalry. But I would say they were the one that ascended to the second highest more than any of the other schools I just mentioned, Iowa, Missouri, K State. So let me ask Mac on that because he has some uh some K State relations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh K State had a run there in the, the late nineties and early two thousands where they probably won three or four. Uh, I can't three of four, right? The, yeah. And um do you feel like and if we were having this, if we were playing K State in twenty five, twenty six here, and we suddenly uh, want to have a K State uh, show, border um, war, how would Nebraska, K State. How would the K State fans, you know, think of Nebraska? They'd probably think of them as a rival, right? Yeah. Based off of maybe a three or four year stretch, almost. Yeah, that's interesting. I, they may. I mean, I found. I'm kind of with you on that honk. I, I found that whole like upswell of. The lack of the Oklahoma as a true rival, or at least them being very relevant when we were good in the 90s. And that's kind of when I started really watching. I mean, for, for one, the games got to be on TV. And for two, we never went to games in Lincoln or anywhere. So that's how I got to see them. So for me, like, 
Colorado made sense being that replacement rivalry, but like when it was when it was Missouri, when it was K State, I found that so much more irritating. I'm like, you've never won anything. I mean, at least mm. at least Colorado had split a national championship, and you know they'd have really good players, you know, go through their program yeah. and go to the NFL. So it was had like the Heisman, yeah. So it was like, well, this feels more like it to me. But like the K State and the Mizzou's of the world, I'm like, it's irritating. You know, it's just they were just more irritating. But yeah. Colorado, to me, I guess, in, in my fandom and just the way I kind of – the genesis of, of how it worked for me, Colorado kind of was my rival as a young fan. And I saw that as a game that was never to be taken lightly. And and to to your point, Skip, even when they weren't ranked and they'd play us down to the wire, that never surprised me. I was, I, it was never a game I just I just struck as a win right away in this season, you know. Whereas K-State, I would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In 89-90, like, when those games were happening, the winner was going to the national championship game or was playing for the national championship. Yeah. So they were they were not getting that respect in 89-90, winning and playing for that. And so I feel like it was just that stuff brushed under the rug, finally coming out 10 years later that they weren't getting that respect and they're just blowing up at their step-parents, you know, like. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a really, really good point. Uh, the Keith Jackson call, for example, and everything. It's yeah, just that, like, came, that came years after Colorado yeah. would beat them and play for the national championship yeah. and Nebraska's not considering them anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, for hockey And maybe to, that was to... strategy by Osborne, tongue-in-cheek. It could have been any of that, like to not want to give McCartney – what McCartney wants. That was probably diabolical by Osborne to be doing that. And I, I get that, but that fueled the fire here. And it did not just for the team. It did for the Denver media. It did for all of Woody that. Page. It became that, that game became the biggest ticket in town, the biggest regular season game of the year in a four sport major town. And that has not been replaced since I've never seen that level of craziness and fandom I've seen it one time, and that's Rocktober 2007 when the Rockies went to the World <laughs> Series. But it took the Rockies going to the World Series like to le- equal the amount of media this would get outside of a Bronco game or even over a Bronco game than that series got for that hot yeah. 12 years. I, you know? yeah. I, I why, why do you think that – I was just going to say, why, why do you think it is the Nebraska attitude towards rivals – you know, we always say that it always has to be, you know, playing for something meaningful like that. And that's why we've always only considered Oklahoma a rival. You know, Dave and I were talking before the show. If you look at like Nebraska, Missouri, that was actually a very competitive series, except for about this 20 year stretch from about 79 to the early 2000s. Missouri actually, you know, played really well against the Devaney and everything. They yeah. split the split the seasons with us going back, you know, to when we first played. And why do you think it is with Nebraska that we would only accept, you know, because you look at other schools, they have rivalries with all sorts of other programs and they never, you don't always have to be playing for something. I mean, Missouri, Kansas was a rivalry. They never played for anything. You know, Alabama and Auburn are rivals. Granted, they're in state, so that helps. It but. meets the check marks, though. They're a border yeah. team. Yeah. They're a conference team. We don't have yeah. any, Oklahoma, Nebraska is unique on every level. There is no historical rivalry between the two states we're not border states so if people understand the trivia time trivia trivia time not right as you're getting into that perfect (laughs) there's your segue so on that oklahoma colorado trivia note colorado and nebraska both played as a ranked team 15 times they both played as a top 10 team eight times 
How many times did Oklahoma and Nebraska play as a ranked team? How many times has that happened? Oh, wow. When they were both ranked? When they were both ranked. Top 25. It's interesting. Back in the 60s, there was only a top 10 for a while, so it was difficult. That might actually impact some of this, but my note is by being both ranked. Well, there's 36 Honky. years of Devaney and Osborne, and I think it's probably safe to say 25 of those probably would qualify. I'm just throwing out a number. And then you go back further into the 30s, where I think the, the polls started in like 36. So 36. I don't know. I'm going to say, I'm just going to say 28. I'm going to go lower at 23. Okay. <laughs> I'll go 31. I have an idea. Let's just go 25 for a random number. Boomer on the nose. There you go. How do you like that? All right. How many of them now were top 10? Both teams in the top 10. Oklahoma versus Nebraska. Top 10. I'm going to say a very, very high percentage of those. So I'm going to say 23. Back in the 70s, it was all the time. I'll go lower than that. Okay, like 17. I'm going to come in at 15. 12. Dave is closest. It is 18. 18, darn it. So I should have been $1. Top yeah. 10 matchups. Yeah, it, it's insa- that is a once-in-a-lifetime rivalry where you can have 18 yeah. top 10 matchups. And, yep. How many other schools? I'd have to do a lot of research. Yeah, that would be yeah, interesting to find that out. Could, yeah. could, could say they've had 18 top 10 matchups. And, th- and that's the thing that, that people, if they don't understand Nebraska-Oklahoma, they don't understand how good that rivalry was. That was every bit of anything that you'll ever see with Ohio State and Michigan. It's it it had all the the historical value. It was two blue bloods going at each other. And the reality is, Nebraska fans get upset when we talk about rivalries. And and it's not. We've had a ton of rivalries. We played Kansas a hundred straight times in a row. Missouri's a rival. Colorado's a rival. Iowa's a rival. They're all they're border rivals. You can have different types of rivalries. But Husker fans are trying to harken back to playing another Oklahoma, and that's just not going to happen unless Oklahoma joins this conference, or unless Wisconsin and Nebraska become that 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 those two teams that play each other every single year as top ten, top fifteen teams. Because I don't see Iowa, and I hate to say this, you know, to the Hawkeye fans there, but I don't see them being up at that level year in and year out. So Frost, I don't number mind one, saying it to him. Nebraska, number <laughs> number one, Frost has to get us back up to that level, and then when we're back up at that level, we have to play somebody every year that is at that level too for it to even start to get close to Oklahoma. Now, to Boomer's point earlier, there are all kinds of schools. Oklahoma being one, you know, who was Oklahoma's number one rival? Was it Nebraska? Was it Texas? Is it Oklahoma State with Bedlam? You know, all kinds of schools have multiple rivalries. Nebraska yeah. didn't have anything historical. We didn't have a, 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 you know, we didn't have a border hatred against Kansas the way Kansas had with Missouri. And I'm talking stuff that happened years before football was around, right? I mean, <laughs> Lawrence got burned down by by people from Missouri. Ohio State and Michigan go back to the the War of Toledo. I mean, there are things that have nothing to do with what's going on in the football field that created rivalries. Nebraska has none of that with anybody. We don't have an in-state school that we're rivals with. We don't have any of that stuff that that just inherently created one. What I'm getting at is that there's all kinds of rivalries that teams can have, and Nebraska just doesn't have some of that stuff built in. We just don't have that in-state one. We have border schools, but they're not typically ones that we've had major issues for long with. periods of time, honky. They weren't very good. Yes, right. So whereas 
the O-U-N-U thing is purely based off of performance. Correct. Right? The two schools were the was, best schools of the Big Eight for decades. Yes, it's completely organic. It just created on the football field. There is nothing between the states of Nebraska and Oklahoma off the football field that would have had us being rivals with each other the way Oklahoma is with Texas, right? Oklahoma and Texas have a rivalry just statehood. Oklahoma. Well, and we Oklahoma- did have to wear blue playing Oklahoma once, so maybe we're still bitter about that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you had stopped playing Oklahoma on a regular basis because the Big 12 had happened and the divisions had happened, right? Yep. Correct. So maybe that is why Colorado felt that need to finally say, now can we please solidify this rivalry with this win because you can't even use the we still got Oklahoma excuse anymore every year because you're not on their calendar every year necessarily. Yeah. Whereas you are for Colorado, and maybe that was why that there's that feeling. Again. Yeah. You know, Skip, that's a really good good thought. Honk, I'm sorry. I, I think if Nebraska and CU suddenly then had a stretch of four or five years where we were top five or top ten teams right. both, right. Uh, that could have really timing. got there. Bad timing. Right. It was bad timing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think part of that also in the Big 12, our focus had shifted away from, you know, our clashes with Colorado and Nebraskans really turned their ire towards Texas. And so we did have another object to move our, you know, our real serious emotions football-wise too. So that probably didn't help either. Yeah. But yeah. isn't that weird when they're not even in your division? Well, they may not be in our division, but one thing Nebraska fans – looked very highly upon as being blue bloods and we talk about it all the time is that we want to play other blue bloods so oklahoma it back in the big 12 north days you play them every two years but then the, the off two years you're playing texas so every year we were playing a blue blood it was a different one and we had this hatred towards the south that everything was kind of set up against us we were you know it was nebraska versus the south and so we kind of always had a blue blood to play you know, on the other side. Now, again, the whole problem was it didn't even have to do with who the who the teams we were playing. It wasn't even the rival anymore. We started to have our own infighting coming in 2003 at the Vasolich getting fired. That mm-hmm. that starts to change everything. And, you know, yeah, we started losing the K-State. We're losing the Missouri all of a sudden. Things were – we lost to Kansas, Kansas for the first time up. in 40 years. Oklahoma State blew us up. Yeah, so we lost to Iowa State badly. So – it just became a point where it's like, I mean, I guess anyone that beats us is a rival anymore. And that wasn't, that wasn't getting any Nebraska fan excited. Um, this is the first time since Frost has come back now. This is the first time where I think people really start to feel like we have a chance to be elite again. And now it's going to be about who is that team that's going to match us and be elite again. And I, I mean, this is a forward looking thing. It's not talking about Colorado this week, but it's talking about, who is that team that's going to match us year in and year out? And I, I've always said I think it would be Wisconsin most likely out of the West. But point is, it just everything that went on in the 2000s and the early 2010s with with uh, with the West or with the Big Ten, Big Twelve yeah. North. I guess there. I mean, there was a 20 year run where CU did match you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they. Yeah, they well, came let's, despite let's a pause few blowouts both so, ways. So, like from '86 for the first upset. Through yep. the the end of the Big Twelve, two thousand through twenty two, yeah, two thousand and two. You can they didn't match. Well, no, they, it's just they didn't match. All the way two thousand ten. They didn't match us. They, if you're they, telling me they, they matched the, us, the record, the win loss was, if I remember right, I think we won nine seventeen. They won seven, and we tied once. So 
If seventeen seven and one is matching us, sure, yeah, okay, yeah. They they didn't match us in the. If we're talking about the nineties, yes, but like I said, there there were how many of those that were also three point two point one point games? I mean, this is yeah, this that's the, that's part of a rivalry, right? Like there can be. Well, a I mean, Michigan hasn't you, beaten. There can Michigan, be a one sided rivalry if they're close. Every yeah, game. Michigan's beaten Ohio State one time in the last fifteen years. Yeah, it's still a rivalry. I get that. I'm just saying that. Nebraska had, we had other things on our mind than whether or not Colorado's our rival as we started getting into the 2000s. I mean, we started having, we're starting to lose to everybody for the first time in decades. We have a bunch of what I call second tier rivals right now. That's the thing. You almost have to rank rivalries. And I think Oklahoma is a good example of this. I think Oklahoma, if you would ask an Oklahoma fan throughout the 80s and 90s and everything, I think they would rank rivalries in Nebraska. And Boomer, maybe you'd be a good person to answer her this too, living down in Texas. But I would say they would look at Nebraska and Texas and say maybe 1A and 1B. And then they would say Oklahoma State's, you know, 2. Okay, so that you start to rank them. Right now. But do you think Oklahoma every year would rather play Nebraska or Texas if you had to give them Are you asking today well, or are you asking back We in gave them their 19... choice. And... Yeah, for I mean, I'm I'm asking I mean in perpetuity if they could only play one of them every year, do you think Oklahoma fans would pick Texas or Nebraska? Well, they kind of had that choice when the Big yeah, 12 Yeah, they was made formed. that dis- they made that choice. They so. took the easier choice at the time. Well, that's yeah, not the fans, was, but It was a super easy choice in 95 for them to make. But my point is is that you can have different types of rivals. And different levels of rivals. Nebraska had a number one rival for decades. And pretty much ever since, we just have a series of what I call second tier rivals. Now, fans, and then we, and then it gets into a thing where it's like, well, we don't want to acknowledge Colorado or Iowa or Missouri or K-State because they're not blue bloods like we are. And they're absolutely right. They're not. So we don't acknowledge them as equals and we don't acknowledge them as a first tier rivalry, but they're second tier rivals. I have no problem with that. So with Chattel's column, he opens with this interesting dialogue between him and a uh, a CU reporter or a, a Colorado-based uh, journalist. And the question was like, you know, so will Nebraska miss the CU rivalry? And Chattel just flatly says no. And the, the CU reporter kind of is a bit in, in shock. Um, do you feel like that's accurate of of – this type of conversation, if it was a Nebraska fan talking to a CU fan and Nebraska fans, like I don't really don't miss CU. Do CU fans miss Nebraska? Um, are they happy about being in the Pac-10? Uh, is this something that they've moved on from? I think CU desperately wants that because there is nothing even close in the Pac-12 that replicates what they had. Even on down years, okay, which they've had a lot of. <laughs> they're... <laughs> But even on yeah. down years, they would want to end the year or have a game to look forward to like Nebraska, mm-hmm. not Utah, which is their designated border yeah. war rival that the Pac-12 sent. That does nothing for anybody here. I've never seen anybody get up or the press excited for a Utah game. <laughs> even the year that they, they won their division and went to the Pac-12 championship, it was it was nothing. It's not even a sniff to what... Even an average year that didn't even mean they were going to could win their division against Nebraska would be. Guys, have you seen? Do you, do you think? Oh, have you seen the records 
of the Pac-12 schools since Colorado and Utah joined. Colorado, out of all 12 teams, by far has the worst conference record against other Pac-12 schools, and it's not close. They've won like seven. And what's Utah? They've won like seven. Utah's pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, Colorado's 12 out of 12 in the Pac-12. They've won like 17 games and lost 80. It's something ridiculously stupid. The next closest team to them is Oregon State, who's won like 29 games. So the point, your point there, Dave, or uh, your point there, Skip, and you think about I just say if Oregon State had resources, they'd be fine. Well, <laughs> but, but <laughs> they do. They have all the Nebraska players that transfer. Yeah, but, Colora- but Colorado, <laughs> you know, but Colorado's won like 17 games, and one of the seasons was where they actually won their division, and probably, I don't know what exactly their record in conference was, but they would have won seven or, or eight, at least probably. six, maybe seven. Yeah. So yeah. they've not had any success in the Pac-12. I, I'm guessing if you ask Colorado fans, would they like to – have that rivalry with Nebraska, or would they like to have a big game with someone? They, they just they haven't had much success, period. So I want to ask you guys this question, too, right. though. Yeah, Dave presented this to me tonight that uh, he doesn't think Colorado would do a redo. They would go to the Pac-12 because they consider themselves a West Coast school and they want to be part of that cool scene of Pac-12. And certainly in basketball, I think they do. But in football, I think they definitely did. But are reconsidering because, hey, how do you say, hey, kids from California and Texas, you want to come play in the Pac-12? We'll come to Colorado. And everyone's like, well, I could also do that in Nike Town, Oregon, or Seattle, Washington, or Southern California, or the Bay Area with two teams. It's a harder sell. That's a good point, Skip. They could go to the Big Ten and say, hey... Come to the Big Ten, but also kind of be in a mountain area. You're the closest to the West. You have that business differentiator that they don't have in the Pac-12, and maybe they would realize that now. And should uh, the Big Ten want to get, you know, dump Maryland, Purdue could go to the East, and then uh, see you could slide into the West. What are your? I mean, I think that's what CU should do from a business decision. They have always fancied themselves as a weird university as cooler than anyone else. So I don't know if they would ever make the smarter business move. And I think they would get more money in the big 10 as well. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think you're, you're probably right on that skip. Yeah. It's Colorado always was kind of that weird position of where do they fit in? Do they, you know, they were always the kind of the hippie boulder, you know, where Colorado skiing pot kind of area for the big 12. (laughs) And they seem to fit better with, you know, the Cals and the the California schools at the time, and which is why they probably thought the Pac-12 was a better fit for them. You know, the Big Ten, would they be a great cultural fit there? Probably not, but from a, you know, monetary perspective, absolutely, that would be a better move for Colorado to they make are that an, jump. Yeah, that would an be. And the AAU school, boomer. Yeah, which is something, you know, we can't, uh, can't quite uh, <laughs> say anymore. Thanks, thanks to the rest of the Big Twelve or Big Ten for yeah. sticking up for us, you jerks. But anyway, uh, th- that notwithstanding, yeah, monetarily wise, it clearly makes more sense to actually join join the Big Ten if such an offer was there, because you could actually get their network, you know, as opposed to the Pac twelve network, which might be carried on some North Korean, you know, streaming service. The best I can tell anymore, you know, the way the Pac twelve goes. <laughs> Uh, and, and you talk and you talk about you know we've talked about you know would it make more sense for the Big Ten to add a school like Colorado rather than Rutgers and Maryland and things like that and I, I thought about that you know in the, when we talked about doing this show you know Colorado does have that 
Denver market and it does add something. You know, Rutgers, they do have a big alumni base and they're comedy gold. We know that. We love making fun of Rutgers. <laughs> so they bring that. Maryland's, you know, Maryland does offer some media markets as well, kind of like Denver does. And, you know, the one thing Maryland does bring that Colorado doesn't is success in other sports other than football. We know football drives everything, but Colorado doesn't play baseball. So you're basically adding another Wisconsin. Maryland, you know, provides baseball success there and they're a quality basketball program and there are some positives to Maryland. So it is, is it, it is tough to say, you know, would it be better to bring in a Colorado rather than any of those two schools? Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Have conferences ever been realigned based on baseball? No, they have not. No, no <laughs> they haven't. But again, if you're looking at what is Colorado going to bring that Maryland doesn't. I'll tell you what they're bringing, uh, Boomer. Uh, a rivalry National... against at least one team because Maryland brought none of that. No, National championships in skiing. That's what CU is bringing <laughs> to the table. Hey, Maryland is the lacrosse power, and I don't want to hear about it. No. So so the premise of this, to just give you guys a little bit of background, was that there is an article on uh, from Frank the Tank. Frank the Tank's Slanta website. The guy is from Chicago, a uh, Big Ten-based uh, guy who's uh, broke a lot of stuff on uh, realignment in the past. And he did an analysis of Big Ten alumni in the top 30 markets of the United States about a year or so ago. And he found out that actually Denver had um, somewhere between like, I think it was like one to 5% of all the alumni out of 10 of the 14 big 10 schools. They had that many alumni in Denver. So there's a lot of big 10 alumni in Denver. Honky, you can speak to this because you've been to uh, Denver during a college football Saturday, and you can hop to every single Big Ten school's sports bar and, and watch a game with fans from those schools. And so he was making the case that actually Colorado wouldn't be a bad expansion option because of the, the market and the fact that you already had tons of Big Ten alumni in Colorado. Yeah, I know. There's, there's no doubt that the alumni are there. I guess this goes back to the whole point about McCartney having to kind of fight to to – have a part of that market is if you bring a Colorado into the Big Ten, does that bring the Big Ten market into Colorado? Does it truly do it? Or are you just constantly fighting to be second tier to uh to the the Broncos as that example? That's the whole thing with Rutgers when you brought in a school that was, hey, you bring in Rutgers because you're gonna bring you're gonna bring in New York. No, you're not. <laughs> you're bringing in a school from New Jersey, but I kind of think the Giants and the Jets and the Islanders and Rangers and you know Mets and Yankees and all those. Oh, nobody likes the Islanders. Yeah, so that's not I, crazy. But yeah. I, I think all those players are bigger players in the media than than what Rutgers brought you, right? So I don't know that that that's the danger with bringing a a trying to bring a town in to bring a market in is that if if when you're talking about large markets. Large markets already have a lot of different media going on there. And so in in Denver, a lot of what we've talked about this whole time is getting the Buffaloes in there doesn't necessarily bring you Denver. It brings you it brings you the second tier behind it brings and, you the second page of Denver. Sure. And the expansion thing has changed here already in just a short amount of time between two thousand ten and now, in the sense of that this idea of of gaining market and uh, subscribers based off of, of cable or dish uh, is changed. And now it's like streaming. And it's so I, I think uh, if realignment occurs again, and this is even on the table, it's about content. 
And so if, if CU's ever going to change out of the Pac-12 to the Big Ten, I think it's imperative that CU actually gets really good at football again because then the content would be there to actually say, well, a, a Nebraska-Colorado game on Black Friday or whatever would bring a lot of eye, eyeballs. And that's its content the next time around, guys. So when uh, 23 to 25, when a realignment may occur again, it's all about how good you are. All right. Well, I want to thank all the Redcasters out there that uh, submitted us some some mailbag questions on social media, on our Go Big Redcast at Gmail account. Really appreciate that. Uh, kind of going through the list here, I'm trying to tie a couple of you know similar kind of questions together. And one of them came from Rich Smith, and it's not really so much a qu- question. It's more of a comment, and I guess we've, we've hit on this a couple of times, but he goes, my memories of is of how poor of sports Colorado players and fans are. I'll never set foot in that stadium ever again. Now, again, that's not a question, Rich, but it's a very good comment. And <laughs> I think, you know, there is truth to that. You, we can all think of the 2005 game where I've never seen refs literally have to, to escort an entire student section yeah. out of the game. But, you know, there's other stories and that, that date back. My grandparents talked about back in the 60s having things happen to their car and all kinds of stuff. So, you know. The point is, why are the fans such jerks when, <laughs> when apparently, like, you know, the, the Broncos don't have that, that. Yeah, that's Bronco- curious, though. Like, the Bronco fans aren't known throughout the NFL as being the worst fans or, like, you know, watch your cars. Or, or, or are they? I mean, that's not my, that's not my no, perception. No, I don't think them. so. But when it comes to CU, no. it surprises nobody when you tell somebody a horrible story that happened to you. Yeah, I thought stoners were supposed to be nice, but I mean, just chill. It's them rich kids, man. It's them rich kids. So, anyways, that's yeah, the, Skip, do you that's have the a question take on there, this? Rich. <laughs> um, well, I've been to four games at Folsom against Nebraska as a visitor for two. Let me say, uh, two. I was grateful enough to be invited as a non-CU. You're uh, undercover fan yeah uh in the student section for those games Mm -hmm. but uh yes sitting in the visitor section once in i think 2005 still got crap uh even with my old man dad next to me it's a thing i think that's died down over the years though uh given their mediocre success uh i've since been to a few games uh even with another visiting oakland duck fan in their gear and they got no crap Oregon beats the crap out of them every year and uh, they seemed pretty beaten down and uh, over being a CU fan so I think it's gonna be interesting to see what what it's like here in September I am very interested as well yeah I I, I, I would like to hope that it's actually a um, have an opportunity to have some camaraderie about old old big eight big twelve foes, and we talk about old times, and and there's not things being thrown at anybody, but we'll see. Yeah, well, I mean, thanks, Rich. There, I, I you know, hopefully the the fans there in Colorado are going to be a little nicer. Uh, you know, I wouldn't I, count I, on it. I wouldn't count on it at all. Yeah. But yeah, they're still not nice at the CSU CU yeah, games. Would, That's yeah. for damn the Redcast is going to be still out not there. Nice though, there, you know. So Dave, producer Skip, and I, we're all going to be out there for it. So. Uh, you know, if there's we'll no red be- cast the following week, you know what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't be putting stickers on stuff. Wait a minute. No, do put stickers on things that you want trash that are actually CU yeah, things. I'm already changing my license plate. It's all right. 
Um, on Twitter, coworker Eric, he mentioned how the NUCU, his NUCU memory was uh, thinking Henry's kick sealed the game and then Sue did Sue things and took the football to the house. Uh, I don't remember feeling that much joy in such a short amount of time in my life. You know, Mac, <laughs> you were at that game. Yeah. And there are very few moments at Memorial Stadium where I, I wish I would have been there when I wasn't, you know, like, yeah, you know, like that. And one of them was, I wasn't there when Eric Crouch caught the pass in 01, but I wasn't there for the kick. Yeah. And I mean, tell me, I mean, yeah, what was, was that moment like being in there in the stadium? Yeah, it was something else, you know, we, it was the Pelini years and, you know, nine wins was our battle cry, but I mean, <laughs> some of that was on the line. And I remember going with my, my brother, Pat and my, and his son, Sean, my, my godson actually. And, uh, God, we took that sack right before the game was on the line. Like the one thing you couldn't do and just the, the quiet before the storm of a kick, you know, when it matters this much and you, it, the pressure's on the line like that. I've never been in the stadium when it's exploded like that, like one play that meant everything. Uh, that's something I'll never forget. Yeah. I, I was at the game too, Mac, actually. I was in the end zone where that, that ball came to me and uh, it was kicked. And I mean, that, that was a big, that was Pling's first year. And that was for an eighth win, which then we turned into a nine-win season because we beat Clemson in the bowl, right? And so um, that was an important uh, win for Pelini, I think. And, uh, I mean, that Henry hit a 57-yarder. I mean, it was a a pretty extraordinary experience to be in the stadium. Wow. How about this, boys? Amazing. Hold your breath here on this one. Henry on the year 48 is long and set it up here and be ready to go in a moment senior tj o'leary to snap it senior jake west to put it down alexander to try to put the huskers in front with a minute 50 left in the game ball right on the end the snap is down the kick is up the kick is Get on there. its way and the kick is oh! it in there. 57 yards out of school record to put the huskers in front 33 31 that is the yeah, kick, absolutely. which, and again, you put it all in perspective. That kick is what allowed us to get to that mythical nine win yeah. under under Pelini. But it it wasn't to win a division, wasn't to win a conference, wasn't to win a, a big national title or anything like that. So that's kind of not that it lowers it on the value. It was an unbelievable moment at the time, and it really yeah, sealed the, biggest, the first biggest. the first season of Pelini. It really finished that season off well. Well, also, you know, uh, one of the, the memories that we got on social media came from Count Isvan. He talked about that 2000 and 2008 games. He was at both of them, specifically with the 2000 game. Uh, he mentioned how they handed out free towels, and he felt like he was chewing on them like Jerry Tarkanian the entire game because uh, the game was so was so tight there. So, that, you know, that's, that's good to hear, Count. Uh, one of the other things that came in the mailbox, uh, this came from Travis May on our Facebook page, and and uh, Travis follows us. We know him. He does not like Nebraska. He is an Oregon fan. In oh, fact, he Oregon, he really dislikes Nebraska. Uh, and so he seems an interesting. Yeah, he listens podcast, to the show, <laughs> but okay. He, uh, <laughs> but he he highlighted a photo of the kid crying uh, in the 2001 <laughs> game. A Nebraska kid crying, and, and uh, he had a he had a you know a freeze frame of that from the from the TV. And I've got to say, I was ecstatic that they showed that kid and not me because I would have been crying exactly the same way in that stadium. <laughs> it just wouldn't have looked as good from a 24-year-old. My entire college years, you could have had just GIF after GIF from, from my college years alone. But, yeah. It is interesting, Hockey. How many times, random question, very quick, how many times did you cry after an Oklahoma loss? 
when you were a kid? Uh, or an adult. <laughs> or an adult. <laughs> I, I can remember like the Game of the Century 2, which would have been 86 or 87. 87-ish or whatever. I, yeah. I, I remember us getting destroyed in 84, 85. We were down 27 nothing, and I think Jim Scow picked yeah, up. It was 84. A, yeah, he picked up a fumble, yeah. ran back in the last minute so that we at least scored or we would have been shut out. Um, you know, I, I, those games, you lived and died with those Oklahoma games and we just didn't do very well in those formative years for me between like 84 yep. and 87. We beat them in 88, the last game against, uh, against, uh, Switzer. And then, and then you move on. It was, then it became the Colorado games. And when we would lose. Yeah. I, and how, so my question is how many times did you cry? And again, maybe that's timing, but how many times did you cry after we lost to Colorado? Oh, that eighty nine game, that eighty nine game really got to me because I remember that was one of those games where it felt like the refs were against you and all that. And I remember that one probably yeah. that one probably stung. Ninety stung just because they came back at our own home. I mean, yep, yeah. It's it, it's just uh, I was, every year after we lose to Oklahoma, uh, it's Thanksgiving weekend. I I would ball my eyes out and go shoot baskets and say it's basketball season because that's the only way I could keep my mind off of it. It was just, it hurt me so bad every year. I remember my brother. And that, that's why it's a rivalry to me. I, I, I remember my oldest brother, Pat, who I went to the Colorado game when we kicked the field goal, breaking the uh, freezer door on our refrigerator upstairs after we lost <laughs> Oklahoma. Cause he'd slammed it shut. That didn't end well for him <laughs> with my folks. <laughs> as bad as he thought he felt, it got drastically worse. <laughs> All right, guys. This has been a great show. Really enjoyed reminiscing about the CUNU series. Let's uh get out of here with some parting shots. If you guys could give me a your favorite individual moment of uh, Nebraska, Colorado, Honky, let's start with you. Well, I'm going to save. I'm sure someone else is going to have a a kick that they might talk about. So I'm going to save that for someone else. My favorite moment was there was a stretch where Nebraska scored on the first play of the game, like multiple years in a row. Started in 95 with the Amon Green play. But it was a couple years later, and Dan Alexander had a run right up the gut. Eric Crouch. Dan Alexander's the eye back. He's fumbled on his first carry of the past two weeks. Not this time, at least so far. And he's got ahead of steam. Alexander trying to tiptoe the sideline. He's still on his feet. He might take it. Touchdown, Nebraska. 50 yards on the first carry. And Nebraska in the end zone. It's like the most quintessential Dan Alexander kind of play. He just went right up the, the middle, 80 yards, full speed ahead. And there was some track athlete that was a defensive back for yeah, Colorado that could yeah. not catch up with him <laughs> and or maybe didn't want to try to catch up with him I don't know but anyways this was not a run between the tackles this was a run between the guards and it was just right away boom 75 80 yards Alexander touchdown and he fumbled in the end zone but it didn't matter <laughs> <laughs> he was in the end zone all right that's, so a, it didn't matter. that's a Dan Alexander move yeah. all right uh boomer well, this kind of goes back to my opening uh, remarks. It's my favorite whole part of the Nebraska Colorado Rivalry really, was uh, discovering the whole Mr. Chip phenomenon, and I'm still bitter to this day that that darn Heart and Dagger Society lost the Buffalo Head or permanently misplaced it. So, whichever one of you Heart and Dagger folks are still alive and listening to this podcast, which I'm sure you all are, we're going to find this stupid thing and give it back to us, darn it. We're coming for you. There you go. Excellent. All right, Mac? 
Oh, gosh, there's so many to pick from. I'm, I'm going to go a little more recent. My favorite Colorado in you moment might just be last year uh, when their linebacker went dirty on 2 a.m. and anchored Frost. And we'll see what the results of that this year. But I fully expect a curb stomping this year, which will replace last year's moment and, and kind of, as we said before, be the, the launch pad to the new kind of ascendance of the Husker football program. So I'm calling my shot. Nice. I like it. Uh, Skip. Uh, my favorite moments are from uh, 90 to 99 watching the game at my aunt's house here in Colorado uh, with her husband, who's a Buff fan. So every year there'd be about 60 people, plenty of kegs in the house, no joke. Upstairs one year would be Nebraska, the basement would be CU, and when CU would score, they would be banging on the floors with broom handles and mop handles to make noise upstairs, and when Nebraska would score, would be jumping on the floor to make it noisy downstairs, and then the next year would switch where we'd watch the games, and it made for the most entertaining games every year as far as rowdiness, and uh, glad to be taking her, my aunt, my godmom, to the game this year. That sounds great. All right, guys. Uh, great show. Really enjoyed it. Let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Pete, see you. Go Big Redcast.